session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dolok. We'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, again, the studio number 310-441-0555. And speaking of the studio, we are in our new studios here for Radio Hamra. It's been an adjustment even for me today, trying to get to the studio and get in here on time, dealing with parking and different things. Uh, so it is an adjustment. And actually, I'm going to start the show talking about dealing with change and how change is always a little bit tough even if it is a good change so i'll get to that in just a second um the book of the week for this week is the problems of philosophy by bertrand russell the problems of philosophy bertrand russell he is considered if not the greatest but one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th 20th century so uh the recent books i read both came out in the last week or so uh, or last few weeks and then this book was written, I think, close to 100 years ago or maybe more than 100 years ago. So sometimes I like to mix it up and read some classics as well as some newer books. So looking forward to reading the rest of this book and sharing it with you on Monday's show, The Problems of Philosophy by Bertrand Russell. Um, so as I mentioned, we are making some changes or have made some changes to get into the new studios here at Radio Hamra and actually... Um, wanted to thank uh, Ghazaleh, who is here in the studio with me right now and working, so I think she can't actually hear me. Um, but w- when I was doing the show remotely from my father's home, she made things go as smoothly as possible. So this is the first time um, in a while that I'm doing the show with her in the studio like this, and also it's in a new studio. But wanted to give her a big thank you and a, a thank you to everyone who's helped with the transition so far. And so, as I said, I wanted to talk about going through changes because it's been interesting that this has not been a huge change. I mean, you know, changing buildings uh, of where you're doing some work, doing the same kind of work, and even the studio, as far as the setup is the same, as far as the structures we have here with the microphones and things. So a lot of it is familiar, but you're in a new setting and location. And I did notice even on Monday's show that uh, it did impact me in some hopefully minor ways. Maybe listeners will will maybe notice a difference too. Um, But it was a reminder of how change always is a little bit hard for us. And it also uh, is related to the book I shared on Monday's show, which as I mentioned, I really loved it and recommend it highly. Um, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain by Lisa Feldman Barrett. And in that book, she talked about a lot of things. Obviously, there's these essentially eight chapters. The first one is the half one, but it's it's also important. Um, but uh, different lessons really in each chapter. And one of them was that your brain is not for thinking. It really is more about uh, budgeting your body, the resources of your body, and making sure... You, you survive and of course our brains do think 
and they're involved in creativity and uh, abstract thinking and a whole bunch of other things. But she was saying that if we really think of what the brains do or what they are trying to do, they are trying to help keep us alive. Uh, and one of the things they do in allostasis is to predict what we need. So if should you go toward something, should you go away from something, do you need to allocate resources for uh, drinking water or getting water, getting food, whatever it might be, but that's what our brains are really meant to do, of course, to survive, then eventually pass on our genes to the next generation. So that was an interesting topic that your brain is not meant to think, or that's really not its primary role or in a way what it was created to do or how it was, uh, why it became the way it was, um, but that more was to predict what you need to do. And even an interesting thing was, uh, I mentioned th getting water and being thirsty, that uh, it said something like it takes about 20 minutes for water to get into your bloodstream. So if you're thirsty and your body is saying we need water, you drink water. But as soon as you drink it, you feel less thirsty. Now, it didn't say this. I, I think sometimes our throat feels dry, but I don't know what impact that has. But essentially, what, the point she was making is that your body already feels like it's okay because in past experience when it had water, this issue of being thirsty or of needing water was resolved. So you feel not thirsty anymore, even though the issue of balancing the water in your body has not been fully resolved because your body or your brain is predicting that it's going to be okay. So it's quite interesting. Uh, but related to that, we can see why change is always going to be a little bit tough on us because the way that our brains are working is that it's making predictions and it can only make predictions based on past experiences. So if you've done something many times, then when you're doing it again, the brain has more to use to predict what's going to happen. And that was another chapter that our brains are pre predict almost everything that we do, that our brain, rather than just taking in all the information, it's doing a lot of predicting and then checking what is around us in some level. So it's not that you don't see what's happening at all, but it's not that you're taking everything in, but there's some prediction and then your brain is resolving the discrepancies between what it's predicting and what it observes or what is going on around it. And so if you are in a new environment, understandably, your brain is not going to be able to predict as well as it could in a familiar environment. And so this is why familiarity breeds comfort and breeds even attraction with people, um, is that when you are more familiar with something, it can make sense that your brain has an easier job of budgeting or knowing what to do or what's going on. And so this is why we always say change always involves some kind of loss. So let's say you're changing your job. Even if you're going to a better job, a job you're looking forward to, it involves some level of loss of what you had already. Or if you're changing your car, even let's say you're getting a car you really like, saying goodbye to that old car is some level of loss. But another way we can think of this concept of change always involves loss is that it involves some loss of your resources or your ability to re uh, budget the resources or for your brain to do that. It's always going to be a little bit uncomfortable in a new environment. You're going to have to adjust to it. And so we have to be ready for this because what that does is it makes us not want to go into new situations. Uh, something I talk about a lot is our comfort zones and being comfortable. 
and how we tend to try to stay comfortable, but living a comfortable life or staying in your comfort zone means you're going to be uh, unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and unhappy over the course of your life if you just stay in the comfort zone. But based on these things I'm talking about, we can even see at a brain level why we would prefer to stay in familiar territory and familiar ground. And that's all comfort zone is, is we stay in an area and relationships or whatever it might be that we're familiar with and it feels easier and we can understand that. And so we have to, it takes some effort to go against that. It takes some effort to break out of the comfort zone. And because of that, it always can feel wrong when you want to go into that unfamiliar even if it's something better, even if you might know it's better, we can understand that at another level it feels wrong. Like I should just stay where I am. You know, maybe it's better just to stay put or to not break up or get divorced or to not apply for that job or switch careers or whatever it might be because it's always going to feel unfamiliar and to your brain it's going to be harder to predict what to expect and what's going on and that puts a little bit of stress on it. So it was interesting for me in reading uh, her description of the brain and how it responds and really how it's trying to predict things more than it's just about thinking the way that we tend to, no pun intended, think about it, um, is, is that it, it makes sense that unfamiliar things will always feel a little bit off or wrong or we won't want to go in that direction uh, whenever we can. We'll try to stay where we are. So it does take a little bit of effort and you have to be ready for that. Um, that your brain might be telling you don't go there, or at least in some way saying don't go there, but we can override that by being aware of where that's coming from. Because our feelings are important to help guide us. You have a feeling, you know what, my gut feeling said do this or do that. Um, and, and that can be an important thing to listen to, but sometimes our gut feeling uh, isn't always going to be right. You know, I think um, so we're usually looking for simplifications. I'll hear people say, you know, your gut is always right. If you listen to yourself, it's never wrong. And I do think that people tend to not be aware of a lot of what they're feeling, a lot of what they might be thinking or wanting and, and all of that, which is important to get in touch with. So there's something to that, that people don't trust or listen to what their body and brain is telling them in a lot of ways that actually could be good. But I also don't agree that it means it's always right, because sometimes what we are feeling is going to take us in the wrong place for exactly the reasons that I've been talking about now, that it might draw you to the familiar, which might be unhealthy. You, your gut, that feeling inside of you might draw you to be attracted to the exact kind of person that's very bad for you because it's familiar from your past. You had an abusive parent, you might be drawn towards a violent or aggressive partner, and it might feel right. You know, in a way we can say our radars are sometimes off in some very harmful ways. So it, it could be easier to think you can always just trust what you're feeling and not have to think about it at all or to evaluate it at all. Uh, but I don't think that's going to lead you to the right places all of the time. And so we have to recognize that it's not going to be that black and white to just uh, trust some gut and think that it's right because it could take us exactly in the wrong directions as well but being aware of that and the more we understand the more we can make better decisions so you want to do something new you have to be ready that there is going to be a part of you that's going to say this doesn't feel familiar I don't know if I want to go there and so you have to balance that with other things that you are seeing 
in the situation to determine what you should do next, should you make the change or not. But we know that from our brain standpoint, change will always feel a little bit not okay. There's at least one part of the uh, calculation that's going to be in a negative direction. And so we want to see, is that what's really driving me away from it? Or is it really other things that might be more important? Change is always hard. You know, we're talking about a minor change here, changing the studio. But even that takes a little bit of an adjustment. And uh, for me and for everyone else here, I think it's been a bit of adjustment. But we're, we're settling in. And that's even what we think about that. When you say you're settling in, once you get more comfortable in a space, once it becomes more familiar, then you lose some of that feeling of unfamiliarity that makes you feel like you don't know what to do. Your brain doesn't know how to really manage what's going on there so we're managing we're getting there a uh, big thank you again to everyone who helped us do that let's get to our first uh, commercial break studio number 310-441-0555 we'll be right back welcome back studio number 310-441-0555 in this segment, I wanted to talk about um, something that uh, I've, I've been hearing from a lot of people because we're getting into the winter months or the days are getting shorter, um, and that is seasonal affective disorder. So uh, seasonal affective disorder is essentially depression or mood changes that people can experience based on the seasons, especially and most commonly that when we go into the winter months, the days get shorter, weather gets colder, they can experience symptoms of depression. And some people know this about themselves, that in the winter months, they can experience a lowering in their mood. Um, so it could be things like low energy. Obviously, mood can be low, depressed most of the time, or more often than not, losing interest in activities. So a lot of the typical sim symptoms of um, depression but especially it could be things like oversleeping, eating more, uh, feeling more tired, all those kinds of things. And so before I get into some other aspects of it, if we think about it from a evolutionary perspective, we can see that there might be something adaptive or that we can understand about seasonal affective disorder, about feeling this way. Uh, you know, some animals like bears, we know they hibernate in the winter. And so it can make sense to some degree that our bodies, our brains are adjusting and recognizing what's happening again, going into that predictive um, ability of our brains or one of the main abilities of what our brain can do to recognize as these months come along, food might be more scarce. There might be less time to be awake because of what's happening with the, the length of the day. So it can make sense to conserve energy. It can make sense to be a little bit more, um, uh, slow in how you're acting and what you're doing so you don't need as much to eat and to use and so this can affect how you are so interestingly we can understand an adaptive uh, in the sense of from our evolutionary perspective way of how it affects us now of course in our life now where for most of us even in the winter months we're going to be fine you can be warm you can have access to as much food as you need uh, but our brains and our bodies sometimes don't match the new environment we, we have to think of when our bodies have evolved. Of course, evolution doesn't stop. But the main ways that our, our brain and bodies have been adapted to is not the current environment that we live in. And so sometimes there's a, a mismatch or a disequilibrium where your um, brains and bodies are not living 
in the right time in the sense of when they're adapted to. We even see this when it comes to sexual relationships, for example, where um, when we think of how sex can work, it's about reproduction, but oftentimes in today's day and age, people are precisely wanting to make sure they don't reproduce when they have sex, right? So there's ways that we're being driven to certain types of behaviors that are a mismatch for the environment or what we're actually trying to achieve because of uh, living in a different environment or a different time. So when we look at seasonal affective disorder, we can understand why our brains and bodies might go through certain adjustments in the winter months. It could be triggered by less access of sunlight. So when we receive the sun less, the brain and the body is preparing that we're going into this period of time. And so there are things we can do to try to counteract that. But first, it's just something to be aware of that either you or a loved one might experience some of these types of things where in the winter months you might notice that. Some people will notice it in themselves or they maybe didn't realize it. Uh, we all might go, to it, go through it to a certain degree. People will talk about how, you know, the day is getting shorter or why is it already dark at 4.30 p.m. You know, it does affect us and we are affected by the light or the lack of light or the lack of sun. It does affect everyone. But like anything, some people can get affected much more severely to the point where they actually fall into a depression during the, the winter months, and, and it's quite common. And of course, if you're already susceptible to depression or issues with mood, you can be more likely to be affected by this as well. So something just to be aware of for you, your loved ones, people around you. Even I think... Um, I, I've, you know, when we look at the holiday season, like Christmas, Hanukkah, all those things, and when they're celebrated, there could be some reasons why Christmas is celebrated. I don't know the whole history of it, but during these winter months, the shortest days, because it's a dark time, quite literally in the sense that there's less sunlight, but people feel more down, and it could be good to have something to celebrate or reasons to get together and be together to lift our spirits. That can make sense. Or... In uh, the Persian culture, we have Shabi Yalda, where we celebrate the shortest day of the year, essentially the longest night, um, which also can have that effect where we're celebrating this time, which actually can be a sadder time where people might feel more sad because of that, to try to counteract how you might feel during that time. So again, you could have uh, issues related to depression that might make it more likely for you to have that if you have a family history of depression or a personal history of depression, you are more likely to experience that. And also if you live in regions where the sunlight um, becomes even less. So the further you are from the equator during the winter time, if you're in the northern hemisphere, the days are going to get even shorter. Uh, and the reverse is true for the southern hemisphere. The more south you are during their winter, which is the opposite time of here in the northern hemisphere, uh, the same thing. So people who live in the Nordic countries, you might, or in Alaska, for example, during the winter, your sunlight might be one or two hours a day, if that. And so that has even a greater impact. Here in Los Angeles, we're a little bit closer to the equator, so much closer than Alaska, so it affects you less, but it still happens here. So that's another thing to be aware of. So it's something to pay attention to yourself or, or others. As far as treatment goes, um, it tends to be similar to treatments for depression. So some people will take medications like uh, antidepressants and things like that. Also, light therapy is something that is done. So 
One of, as I mentioned, what could be causing seasonal affective disorder is receiving less sunlight. So there are some things that are quite literally light therapy, where it's a special type of light that people are exposed to that can help them um, to maybe rebalance the circadian rhythm, the daily patterns, so that they can um, feel better or to have less of an effect. So in a way, you're tricking your body into thinking it's not going into the winter, so to speak, because you're receiving more of that light. So medications, as always, uh, psychotherapy can be helpful for any type of mood issue. Um, looking at some of the thoughts or behaviors, if you're doing some kind of CBT, um, things like that, that can be helpful as well. Meditation can be helpful for all these types of things. But to some degree, it might be something you just experience. And so that's also something I wanted to talk about, that I'm very much in favor of recognizing what's going on and seeing if you can treat it in some way, if you can um, do things to counteract it, keep yourself physically active, get the light therapy, even maybe go to therapy, potentially taking medication if it gets to that point. But also something I always try to promote on the show is to recognize what we're going through and being able to accept that as well. So that if you do get more depressed during the winter months, try to do what you can about it, but also be aware that it could be just something that you deal with. And how am I going to deal with that? We can't always just remove the ways that we feel or the things that we go through. We can try our best to make them a little bit easier to get through, but we don't always remove that. And you even can tell people around you about that. If you have a partner or people that you're close to and you know you're going to go through this, you can let them know so they're aware that during the winter months, I might get a little bit more down. I might uh, go through these periods where it affects me in this way. And just so you're aware of that, so they understand. And so uh, it's not just about this, but about anything, to really share with the people around you what you go through. Because one of the unfortunate things is when we're looking at depression, or uh, especially if it's a specific time period where you might be able to expect it, but in general, when we go through these different things, because we're afraid to share it with one another, we tend to isolate ourselves even more. So I can't tell you because I feel embarrassed or ashamed that I go through this or I'm going to be down or in low energy. You know, people even say, oh, who wants to be around someone who's in a bad mood? Which it's true that we all get affected by one another, but everyone goes through uh, bad moods, bad times, and we want to hopefully be there for one another. But what's sad is that people tend to feel like they have to isolate because of that. People don't want to be around me when I feel this way. Uh, I'm embarrassed or ashamed that I feel this way, so I shouldn't tell people. Um, you know, it's something to hide. I'll go into my own kind of hibernation and then come out when I'm feeling well again. And you can choose to do that if that's what you'd prefer to do. But oftentimes, if people actually felt like they could be loved and accepted when they're feeling that way, they would actually want to be around other people if they let them be that way. And that's the other part, right? So if you see someone who's in a down mood, you might think I need to cheer them up. I have to make them happy instantly and make them good. And then if you can't do that, you might feel powerless or frustrated or upset, or you might even get upset at the person for not cheering up and you might not want to be around them. So sometimes the best thing we can do is to recognize I'm not going to make you totally okay or make your mood totally happy, but I can be around you. You know, if you want to just have company or to have someone there and I'll understand 
that I'm not responsible to make your mood okay. And I'll understand that this is okay. You're, you'll, you're down for a while, but you'll be okay again or feel better. Uh, we can just be around each other and share that company. I talked about on Monday's show, uh, the studies that have shown things like when you know you hold someone's hand or a loved one's hand, the brain areas related to pain, if you're going to receive a shock, will be even less. So it doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't mean you're not feeling any pain, but you might feel less pain. We can make it easier to tolerate getting through a difficult time for our loved one. So that's why I think it's so important for us to recognize that we can share these things with one another. You know, what, what I see is people get depressed and a very common uh, symptom of depression is wanting to withdraw and isolate. So sometimes the person wants that, but sometimes it gets exacerbated by feeling like they shouldn't be around people. And this is even uh, one of the reasons why depression uh, therapy can be helpful amongst the, the different ways that it helps is that by sharing that down period with someone else it, it's like you're in a dark cave and the therapist might not pull you out of the cave or even a loved one doesn't pull you out of that darkness but they actually might come sit next to you in that darkness and that can be hard for some people to tolerate but that's what we want to be able to provide for one another when we give them the space to feel what they're feeling is okay you're in a dark space i'm not going to tell you it's actually bright where you are i'm not going to tell you or force you to be happy or come to the brightness but i can join you in that darkness for now where i can at least temporarily be there you know i might not always be there for you or with you even as a therapist it might be a short period of time but i can sit next to you in this darkness and that itself can be helpful because when we're depressed, we feel isolated, we can feel ashamed. And if someone can show us that it's okay, that we're not feeling okay, that can be very powerful and very helpful. So it's important for both sides to keep this in mind. Or we all will be on both sides of this. If you're the person going through something, hopefully you have people around you that you can share that you're not feeling well, and they'll let you not feel well if that's how you feel. They'll give you the support you want, but they'll make you feel okay if you are feeling down. And if you're on the other side, someone tells you they're not feeling well, first of all, take the pressure off of yourself. You're not supposed to just make them happy or totally take away their pain. Almost always you can't do that, but you can just be there for them. And that itself can be very meaningful. Just your presence is a lot. And a lot of life is about that, just being present with someone else. Even as a parent, it's a lot about connecting, but just being there for the child is what helps build a secure attachment. Of course, interacting and responding to the child's needs, but your presence is what's really important. And we still have that feeling as we get older. Just having someone with us makes it a little bit easier. And think about the different fears you might have Usually the person, if you have someone support you, they can't do anything about the fear, but just having someone there helps. Hold my hand while I do this thing that scares me. The person holding your hand doesn't take away whatever it is you're scared of, but just that safety, that connection is important. So I just wanted to, first of all, make this uh, the point about seasonal affective disorder, to be aware of it if you have that yourself or people around you do. You know, and we talk about disorders, it doesn't mean everyone's going to get a full-blown depression, but you might even notice it affects you in some ways or it affects you 
more than others. Even if you don't think you fall into a depression, you can still have the mood or the tendencies that come up with it. And also for for those of us to be aware of uh, our loved ones that might be going through that, and whether it's the seasonal affective disorder or any type of pain, mental pain that they're going through, that we want to just be there for them. We don't need to change them or fix them. Just being there can be enough. Let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, yes, yes. Thank you, Dr. Ferry, for taking my call. Sure. Thanks for calling. Surely. Um, so my issue is I need your help is it's about a man that uh, expresses interest, personal interest rather, towards me. But uh, I have some reservations, which I will tell you. Okay. And I could use your help to identify his interests. Okay. Now, before sure, before we begin, um, I mean, obviously, we can talk about it, and we'll see. For me to tell you his his interest or his intentions will be difficult, obviously, but we can we can explore it because at the end of the day, he'll be able to tell you. Uh, the only one that really can tell you. But yeah, we can explore at least from your side, especially what you're thinking and what's going on. So go ahead. All right. So as a contractor to the government, um, he is a VP of that uh, company. Uh, But the contract that I was involved with uh, at the time, it ended, uh, expired actually, uh, about seven, eight months ago. And before that contract ends, uh, we were going to be reorganized to another contract. And he um, actually uh, pulled me aside. I didn't know about his interests uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned that uh, he would look after me and, you know, other people to seek other positions. And uh, he did try, actually. So I reached out to him with an email a few months, about two months ago, just asking, you know, if he can help with the other positions that I applied. And um, I expressed how I was disappointed of the means that didn't help as much. So he asked me to arrange for a meeting call, and the meeting call went pretty well. And then he followed up and he said, hey, uh, would you like to meet for lunch? And let you know that uh, the contract that I'm in He's no longer part of that contract, okay. so it's not business conflict at this mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. But then I agreed to meet him after six because of uh, you know meetings throughout the day was impossible. And uh, so when I met him at the place that he actually asked me to choose in my area, and he was very nice. And uh, but the. The irony was that the meeting was supposed to be talking about the business opportunity, but we ended up, or he actually ended up talking personal. Okay. Asked me a lot of personal questions about myself, and I was surprised because I didn't know. And so I was kind of like kept it professional, and I answered the question, and it was a pleasant evening. But, uh, and then it followed up with uh, just a couple of texts that, uh, and again, I wasn't sure mm-hmm. how this is going to work out. And I asked him, I said, is this a personal interest that you're pursuing? And he said, uh, yes, if I'm not involved, 
uh, in the contract that you are, uh, I don't see why not we can pursue personal interest. But what I'm coming up to ask you is, for the past month, and we met another time for lunch, and um, he does tell me that he's interested, so, and I told him, yes, I'm interested, because he's also divorced, I am, and uh, so there's no problem with that. But seems like he shows he's interested, and he wants to meet, but then there is no word coming, and uh, again, uh, I'm not quite sure if I'm getting mixed signals, or is it something that I need to come up and, you know, be straight with him and ask him, and because of I, I'm not used to chasing men. <laughs> well, <laughs> we don't want no one. No one should need to chase anyone. Um, it, it, hopefully, does it feel that way for either of you to, to be chasing? But uh, yeah, I guess so. When you you can explain maybe what you mean by the him not following up, um, and uh, you know, the, obviously there can also be cult, uh, cultural things. I don't know his background, your background. That could also affect things as well as how. Uh, people approach each other um, so maybe I can get some of that information from you also if you know his age and then how old are you uh, and get some understanding of the, the background there yes we are both middle age okay that's a that's a wide range <laughs> <laughs> try to get that out of women <laughs> yeah <laughs> well this is more of a more of a, a clinical kind of question that, that, that way but I no it's uh, Upper fifties. Okay, upper still, but, still, still general, but okay. <laughs> upper fifties is good enough. Okay, and then how old is he? He's also uh, middle uh, aged. I think he's older, probably <laughs> in early sixties. But I didn't ask him, you know. But he has two grown up uh, kids, uh, and uh, yeah, he is American. And uh, he actually, it was interesting that he told me that he knew hormesapsi. Uh, Okay. <laughs> All right, that's that's good. So he knows some of our the better things of our culture. That's good. Um, so you know, when you say he's been m- the mixed signals or what you th- you consider mixed signals, what what has been mixed about it? He's not following up as much as you'd like. He's not contacting you as much as you'd like. Well, I mean, he showed his that he's interested, and uh, he gave me his personal email address. He gave me his phone number. Uh, he actually contacted me through WhatsApp, mm-hmm. and uh, it seemed like when I initiate the conversation, he's really good at it, but then it's just going to be left alone. And when I mentioned that, yes, we need to talk further, uh, then he's like, definitely we must, and then that's it. Huh. Okay. It's just like an open-ended uh, conversation. Well... Or it seems more like you mean open and then ended conversation. Um, so yeah, I, well, I could see how you're not sure what his intention is or how he's pursuing. You know, culturally, sometimes there are differences. And I know you said you don't want to chase him, but I think talking to him about what his intentions are. I know you said is this personal or professional or or whatnot, uh, but that was just one level of really understanding what he's looking for. And before even you ask him, and I'm going to ask you now, uh, it's good for you to think about wh- what are you looking for. Well, based upon uh, the conversation we had uh, from our first meeting and then the second, uh, it seems like he's really the type of person that I would be interested to invest in. Okay. Uh, 
and uh, but then again, I'm not quite sure if I would let's say offer because when I offered that, okay, yes, we need to meet again. Uh, I thought it's best if we can just have a good conversation, you know, person in one on one, and instead of just texting each other or you know. But uh, at this point, I'm not quite sure if I need to say, okay, when are you available? Let's get together, or just wait for him to make the next move. I know it's I'm not 20s anymore. I'm not 30s, and you know, but still. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know the exact age, but I know you're not 20s or 30s. That's true. Um, so yeah, it, it. It. You know, I don't want you to get too fixated on these um, parts of like how does it approach. It seems like he showed interest, and then now you're the part that it seems like you're confused is if he showed interest. Why is he colder now, or not showing as much interest or following up? Which I think it's okay to to bring up and talk about. When was the last time he contacted you? Well. Uh, we had uh, a text online about, uh, I would say, five days ago. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, does and it, yeah. You know, something the, that he, I'm sorry, um, just to let you know, something that he mentioned that he's actually uh, involved in, uh, busy at work, uh, because they're uh, proposing few government contracts. So I understand that. But again, you know. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, it seems like you want him to um, to be more involved and more engaged. I get the sense from just our conversation so far, you like to have control over things, and here you don't have the control. No one doesn't like having control. But for some of us, it could feel even more like you're wanting him to do something he's not doing, and I think that's already frustrating you. Wow. I think that's a good analogy, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to sound like I'm frustrated or I'm desperate. It's just that. Uh, but see, there you're saying sounding uh, like I don't. I'm not. You know, I can understand that you're frustrated, and I hope you can give yourself that. So it's not that you, uh, you know, and and I get when we're you know, talking about dating, people can be focused on how they're coming off and things like that. But I think it's very okay for you just to be very real with him. I think that's true for everyone, and not to worry so much about sounding frustrated or sounding a certain way you might be frustrated or you're, you are a little bit confused uh, by how he's been you know approaching you and and it did of course start in this very ambiguous way because you work together and even when he first was maybe asking you out you weren't sure if it was work or personal and so it's it's been this kind of ambiguous start and it's still a little bit hazy and you want some more clarity which i think is understandable really at any age uh, you know we i think that's important younger you know you said 20s or 30s but whatever the age is clarity is important so i think you know i'm not going to say exactly call him today or text him today but soon you could try to get more clarity from him of what's what's going on um but i do think as i said wanting control is something that i get the sense you you want to have and you want to know exactly what's happening and so sometimes we might push too hard like we have to know everything and be very clear and that could actually you know we have to be okay with not knowing some of what's going on so some of what you're probably dealing with right now is the anxiety of not knowing exactly where you're at with him uh, which understandably doesn't feel very good, but we have to find some balance of we can get clarity, but we're not going to have some perfect clarity to know exactly what is he doing, what does he want to do, what's his plan, 
Um, he might not give you all of that yet when you guys have only just started kind of connecting in this way. Right. I look at it as a typical man. <laughs> okay, so tell me, tell me about typical men. And, and keep in mind, I am a man, but go ahead. Tell, tell. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm just joking. But the, what do you mean by t- a typical man? So that, that's actually good because, see, what we're always doing is we're filling in the gaps. Even I was talking before about our brain predicts, but especially in relationships, we're filling in, right? You don't know that much about him, but you're already filling in based on your own past experience, different things. So tell me what that means to you when you say, he, what I see is a typical man. Well, I mean, uh, they always describe men as a hunter, right? And then okay. they chase, and uh, once they found their uh, prey, you know, yeah, um, prey, and then they <laughs> probably lose interest. So I'm playing it. That, like, that. That, I'm, I'm not, that's, that's not the most romantic it. story I've ever heard. Yeah, so <laughs> it's about prey, and then they kill you, and they leave. That's very. Um, <laughs> that's not going to be in a Hallmark card anytime soon. But um, okay, so but that does show there's some, uh, you know, that feeling that you have about men is something for you to to look at and think about because that's what I meant by you already are filling in the gaps that you're saying. See, he's a typical man that just sees me as prey and wants to hunt me doesn't want something serious, just, you know, uh, wants yeah. to hunt and then go. Um, and so, of course, that's going to impact. And in a way, you're kind of telling him, prove me wrong that you're not that, or in some ways, prove me right, because see, all men are that way. So you have to be aware of those things that you're bringing into um, this, I don't want to say relationship yet, but, but this kind of uh, communication uh, and interaction with him, that you're bringing in those those experiences from your past and already telling him he is this. And so that's another reason why you want that clarity. It's like you want him to prove to you that he's not that kind of guy, but you might be asking for that proof too soon. You have to already tell me you're not this and this and this, you know? It's like prove to me you're not a cheater, let's say. It's like, well, no one can really prove to you that they're not a cheater in in the first interactions. Hopefully they show you that they're trustworthy in the basic ways they can up to that point, but but they can't show you that. And sometimes people, because of their anxiety, they say, you know, are are you the kind of guy that's going to cheat on me? Are you the kind of girl that's going to this or the kind of, because they're so anxious about that. And really the truth of the matter is no one says, yes, I am to a question like that, but we still are, are looking for that confirmation of something. So it seems like there's some issues with trust that are coming up here as well, which, um, you know, you don't have to give him all your trust yet. You just give him as much as he earns over time. Trust is earned. Uh, we give a basic level just to start communicating and connecting with someone, but they earn our trust. And so I get the sense you want to know. It's almost like you want to see the whole movie about you and him before it even starts. And so to some level, there's going to be some not knowing that we'll have to accept. Even if we look at what you asked me, which did ring a little bit to have the same flavor to it. You said, I want you to kind of, basically you're saying, I want you to tell me what this guy's thinking and what his intentions are. And I can't, you know, I don't know. Um, you're going to have to to find out for yourself and through communicating with him. And I would hope you don't think that communicating means you're chasing him. Again, you're not going to get all the the information from him because a lot of it he can't even give you but you can try to understand what are his intentions more clearly in in some due time or pretty soon uh, as far and again you're only going to deal with what he tells you because see if you're telling me typical man then you can say oh see he said this but he's not going to do that he's saying he wants something serious but he's just saying that to keep me around so you know he's going to have to show you um and you have to trust that he's going to show you over time but we don't know how this movie is going to play out and how it's going to end 
You'll have to just play your part. You can't, you know, you can't be the writer, director, uh, and actress in, in your own, in this movie. You have to be just your portion of acting in it. And together you and him will in some way co-direct or co-write what happens. But you can only write your side. Woody Allen did all that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's so funny you said that. I was thinking of like a Woody Allen, you know, acted, directed, yeah. uh, and and written by the I same know. person. Yeah, it would be nice. It would feel nice to have that much control over what's going to happen. But that's a movie, which is not real life. So unfortunately, in real life, we can just act our part or be our part. And then we might co-write a story with the other person. But we'll see. Is, is it going to be... Uh, a short story? Is it going to be a long story? Will there be sequels? <laughs> that, that you're going to have to figure out with him. Um, but recognize that, you know, not knowing is is one of the hardest things for anyone, uh, but it might even be harder for, it's definitely harder for some people. So this not knowing seems like it's bothering you. And we don't want that not knowing to create an anxiety and a desire for certainty that actually might even push him away or make this not work out. Because if you want to know everything, too soon, you usually will make it end too soon. So being a little bit patient, which is tough, um, but I think don't feel bad that if you want some more clarity from him, again, it's not going to be perfect clarity, but some more clarity soon, that doesn't mean you're chasing him. You're just trying to understand um, some level and communicate to him what you are looking for or what you want. You're allowed to have wants that I like to communicate more or connect more. You can express those things to him. Okay. Well, sounds like a good plan. I'll do that. Uh, yeah. But the luck. only thing is yes. you know, that it bothers myself that um, I'm also excited of not knowing. Mm-hmm. And once it's straight out and clear, then I lose interest. Oh, interesting. So maybe you're the hunter. Well, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it's interesting. Exactly what you said is what you said the men are going to do. They interested. And then as soon as they kind of have you, they leave. So, you know, sometimes we project our own uh, ourself onto other people. So in some ways you might have been projecting that onto to men or others that, that they're going to lose interest because that's something you do or you're afraid you'll do. So yeah. that's interesting. And some of the not knowing keeps you excited but nervous mm-hmm. and that. But then once you feel like you know, you lose interest. That That's also an interesting thing for you to look at. Why do you not like the guy that's giving you what you're saying you want, right? So if we look at now a little bit more of the full picture, you were saying, oh, these guys are so bad because they don't give you interest and they don't stay with you. But now you're saying when they stay with me, I want them to go or I want to go. So it, it is, it's it's complicated. Oh, yeah. I'm a very complicated. <laughs> we, we all are. We have to kind of unpack all of that and try to understand it a little bit better. And, you know, with each interaction, we can learn more about ourselves as well. But it's something to be aware of and, and to notice that what we even, sh- you know, ex- explored today, sometimes what you might be thinking about him, ask yourself, am I that way? Or is that something about me that I'm projecting onto him? Because often that is the case. Very well said. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Good I- luck. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Hello. Hi, are you with me? Yes. Hello, Dr. Saizolakri? Yes, you're speaking to me. Nice to talk to you. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, I want to ask you a um, question, more kind of helping to understand what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a daughter. She's uh, 24 years old. 
And um, just to give you a little bit of background, so I basically am a single mom. So she's 24, and then she has in a relationship now, call it as she has a boyfriend, which I met the, the boy, but then um, my first impression wasn't really great about this um, relationship, but I kind of um, didn't want to say anything. Um, but later on, I found out there are more kind of serious going on between her and him. Um, I just wanted to know, when you have someone basically consider you have an adult uh, child and it's not anymore uh, consider a minority, what is my position if I feel like a, this is not the right person for her? Um, when should I say her um, just to help her to understand my point of view? Um, is it my uh, right to be a little bit aggressive about if something is not approved by me? Like, what should I do? Like, I'm, I feel like I'm knowledgeable. I feel like I have a very good relationship with my daughter, but then yeah. now we're getting to the very sensitive topic, and I don't want it to hurt her. Um, what? Uh, at which point I have to be very straight and tell her why I'm thinking this is an odd right person for her. Well, I mean, already, you know, you're assuming that you have to tell her, which I'm not saying you, you shouldn't, but you're saying at what time do I tell her? And so this is, a, you know, a challenging issue in the sense that uh, you're concerned. We can even look at what those concerns are. But because it's obviously her life, her relationship, she has to be happy with this person. We have to make sure we are giving her that space as well. And most of the time, parents will think they're not always wrong, but they are very clear that I know better than my son or daughter about who they should be with. Uh, but we do have to have the humility that we could be wrong or we might not know, or especially we might not know for them, you know, it's what they, what they want. And so we, we have to, you know, it could be your opinion or some of your concerns, but I'm not saying you said this, but I hear this a lot from parents where they say, I know my kid will be unhappy. I know this is not going to work out. And they tell, they're, they're convinced and they, they, they're convinced as if they know some fact, which actually I think is true of how people talk about a lot of things. Uh, these days I talked about it a bit on Monday about in politics or a social policy. Everyone thinks they know exactly, but they don't really know. So we have to first uh, come into it, I think, with that mindset that you don't know. You might have some concerns or thoughts about it that you might want to share with her, um, but that it's not that because sometimes parents will tell me, well, I told my kid and she didn't listen. I told her she needs to break up. Well, that, that's the problem is that you went into the conversation that I'm going to tell you this truth because I know and then you have to act based on the truth I'm telling you to end this relationship immediately and so I would make sure you don't go into any conversations you do have if and when you have them with that mindset that the goal for this conversation is to convince her to break up the goal could just be communication and sharing from your side um, only if she wants it. Also, that's kind of part of the if part of having this conversation. But it's not that, you know, sometimes people can feel like, well, the conversation didn't go well because she didn't listen to me. You know, that's that to me is not really a conversation. That means you're giving her um, 
uh, an order, essentially. You know, that's not really a conversation. Mm-hmm. So conversation goes both ways and also a conversation even to have it. The person has to have to want it. It has to be both parties want to have it and both people should be contributing or sharing things in that conversation. So just a few things to keep in mind in that if and when you do talk mm-hmm. to her, that I think those things are important to have in the approach. Now, before we get into like how or what you would say, I'm curious about what are these things that you are concerned about? when it comes to, to your um, boyfriend. Yeah, I just wanted to give you a little bit more information because recently sure. I noticed she's hiding a little bit um, about um, basically the relationship she has with this um, boy. So, I mean, I call it boy, the young that, man. Well, so, that, it, that um, itself shows something, right? That you, you think they're too young to make a good decision, that they're just little kids um, trying to get to know each other. But yes, but tell me a bit about what, what you've learned that you're concerned about. So then basically they went to the trip. So, you know, it just happened for me to know that. And um, she thought, I don't know, but I didn't say anything to her until she comes back from the trip. And then I just very honest um, question I asked her, like, oh, who did you go with? And her first um, response was nobody. And I asked her again, I said, are you sure? So like, it was nobody was with you? And then she kind of paused, but she wants to examine to see if I know it. Then again, she said, yeah, nobody. And then I said, but I know about this. And all of a sudden, she started to um, apologizing, say how sorry is that she's not feeling well about um, hiding this from me, but she knew that I wouldn't be agree. So she started to opening that conversation about, I don't usually like to lie, but I you give me kind of, you know, um, why about you're not happy with this boy, but that's why I hide it. So I don't know what I have to do. So that's kind of the conversation went. So on that time, I found this is opportunity for me to talk about it. So I said, I'm telling you one time, and I'm not going to repeat it again, but I'm going to tell you why I'm not basically agree or I feel like I don't approve this um, person if you're going to be have a long relationship. And then she said, what do you mean by long relationship? We are happy together. I said, so what is the meaning of happy together? So you're 24, the other person is 30. So are you guys not thinking about it too, looking at the future kind of uh, partnership? And she said, we are happy right now. We don't know what we're going to happen. And my daughter is a person, she always said, I don't believe the marriage. I don't believe, she always said, I don't want to have a kid. So we're just happy together at the moment. Uh, why would I be bothered about what is the next two or three years? They said, what about the guy? They said, if he's 30 years old, so also he's thinking the same as you? And then she basically claimed, yes, yeah, so we are kind of together, we are having good time. And I said, the reason I'm just saying to you, because, for example, one thing I am not quite sure he's the right person because of his, um, he came from the very religious family, and we are not religious, so we don't basically um, practice in any specific religion. Um, I said this is something you maybe find out it might be causing a problem for you in the future. Maybe your guys are happy together. Now it's more than one year, but then if you're thinking about it, living together, someone grew up in a very, very religious uh, family, I'm sure he doesn't ha- have some 
um, function about that? He said, yes, he does. I said, okay, so that's first thing. But what I feel like this is maybe comes as a problem in the long relationship. Secondly, um, my daughter, she's um, in medical field, so and the guy is just having four years, you know, bachelor. I thought, you know, but in the future also, you may find that your position as a doctor maybe would be different from the person with just basically nine to five job he has it. I'm not making it a judgment call, but I'm just saying in the future, you're making a lot of difference as far as the money concerned, and it comes as a problem. That's also my second issue. And the third one I said, um, just generally, I, I feel like uh, it might be this person distracts you because you are in the position of study abroad and she wants to come back to the origin country and she needs to study a lot of you know, board exam and things and would be a distraction. But she doesn't believe it is a distraction. She feels like actually good because she feels good when he's around, he's helping her. Um, that's part she doesn't agree with me. But the first one about religion, I think she was agree. But the second about the differences as far as their status, also she said, what do you mean? Do I need to, because I'm going to be a, become a doctor, that means I'm going to always have a doctor or lawyer or something like that. I said, no, I, I don't say that, but I feel that there has to be something compatible, like not to be huge differences. But also she's not agree with that. So okay. I said it, I said I'm not going to say it again, but these are my concerns, and you can decide what you want to do. But I, I know they're together, I know basically nothing has changed, and I feel like, okay, at which point I have to be more straight or should just well, let it go? Yes. Yeah, so just let her to make her own decision. And Basically, on the stage. <laughs> well, but see, that's <laughs> so. I mean, I think you 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 said a, a lot in what you said, not just about what you were sharing, but about where you're coming from. Like you said, it's a mistake, which is you know the mm -hmm. opposite of what I was recommending. And how you approach this is that you don't. Now you obviously can't take back what you already said to her, but that you don't assume you know. Uh, and to be honest, in hearing what you said, uh, I don't think it should come as a surprise that she was hiding some things from you. Because look at your reaction, you know, to to telling her, telling you that that uh, you know you and you're already going so far ahead, and and this is why, as I was saying, and again, you can't take back, but also for people who are listening, it should be a conversation. But you gave her a lecture, and even it wasn't just a, a lecture; it was that I told her these three things that are the truth, and she only agreed with some of the truth. You know, she's still figuring it out. The rest of the truths that I was sharing with her. So very clearly you were telling her, I know this is wrong, this is bad. Um, and of course she's going to tell you even less about it. You know, she's not going to tell you more. And I don't know enough about the relationship to say it's right or wrong, uh, but just as an approach, uh, I, I think what you've unfortunately done is you've closed a lot of the doors of communicating with her about this, that she already knows you're so against the relationship. Um, that she's not going to share with you. And unfortunately, what I, I I've seen this so many times, both pr professionally and personally, but you know, parents will do this. And then even if the child, even if your daughter right now does have concerns about the relationship, she's not going to tell you 
which is the unfortunate part that you've closed that door that she could potentially come to you and say, you know, mom, I'm worried about this. He said something or he did something. But because you've attacked the relationship so much, she has to defend the relationship, defend him and defend her choice in being with him to such an extent that she's almost not going to tell you anything unless it gets so big. But she won't tell you about things she's unhappy about or concerns she has. So by coming down so harsh, you've taken away a lot of those opportunities, unfortunately, or potentially closed some of those doors. Doesn't mean completely, but might have closed those doors. Now, we're at a commercial break. But I hurt. But I hurt. I, I, I got so hurt, but I found out she's lying because but even I that thought we all just have an open conversation. Right. But even, even that... I understand. And so we're going to get to that because even that's something we could look at. What I'm not saying I would blame you for her lying completely, but we have to look at the relationship. We're at a commercial break, but I want us to continue. So uh, I'll put you on hold sure. and we'll talk after the break, okay? Yeah, All right. We'll be right back. Before the break, we're with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Uh, Radio Hammer, are you still there? Yes, thank you. Okay. Of course, yes. Yeah, so, you know, there's a few, um, you know, you shared a lot about uh, your daughter, 24 years old, your concerns about her relationship, and then also your recent interactions with her. There's obviously a few major points here. One is about, uh, you mentioned right before the break, that you were hurt that she lied to you about traveling with her boyfriend. Um, and then, of course, the relationship itself. But since you mentioned that, the you know, that you were upset, and as I mentioned, I wouldn't put that blame 100% on you, that if your daughter lies to you, it's your fault, because I don't think that's fair or accurate. Um, but to be aware of, from your side, always looking at if she does lie to me, was it something that I made it hard for her to tell me the truth or to be open and honest to me about that so uh, you did seem like you wanted to share some things about that before the break too but also if you can think about that aspect of it as well but tell me what you were were thinking before the break about that um her not telling you the truth about traveling with him um because i thought we always have an open you know conversation with my daughter so i mean she always felt like I'm very open-minded, mm-hmm. but she said, Mom, for certain things I found that you're not basically open-minded anymore. <laughs> okay. like, um, because I met this um, gentleman, so when I, at one of the point I was there, and then um, I didn't say anything, so I knew that my daughter is with him. I guess the fact they're traveling together I think that was my daughter find out that would be hard for me to um, know about like basically traveling that means they're in the same room and that sort of thing is not easy for me to accept it. So um, that's why her kind of her comment to say you are good with a lot of things but once we get to that sort of topic there's a taboo and I don't feel comfortable to talk to you and I feel like this is because you never actually make me comfortable about this. And I agree with that. I said I'm working on it. I feel like this is my weakness. I mean, growing up in, in uh, Iran, but being in another country for 24 years or 25 years, I'm still so like even in my own personal um, 
relationship, I have issue with that part. Now I'm passing to my daughter, and my daughter is 24. I'm not. I basically makes her very uncomfortable about like a traveling with someone or being with someone. Um, so then I said, uh, in the future, I really want you to try to not lie to me and try to be honest with me. Even if you find out if I get upset, I want you to practice and try to say to me, and I do my best to make it not that much, you know, hard on you. And then I trying to obviously work on myself and find out what is basically how, how can be a better mother more kind of guiding you not to coming as an order Some yeah and that and it, that's important that's I call you yeah and that's important because like, I call you to ask sure. you to see what is your professional opinion in that matter like yes I kind of Sure, and so you're right. Obviously, you want to encourage her to tell you, but also that's from her side. But especially from your side, it's that being uh, as non-judgmental as you can be about what she shares. That's completely on you. How you respond to what she tells you is going to be on you. Now, telling her, uh, tell me, and it's good you said I'll, I, I don't want to get as upset or angry, but you know, sometimes parents will tell their kids, tell me whatever you want or tell me everything, uh, but then they respond in a certain way that doesn't make the person comfortable. You know, like parents will say, tell me what you got on your test, don't worry, and the kid says, I got a D, and then they, they you know, throw a, a, a tantrum and break things and get upset. Well, of course, the kid's not going to tell you next time they get a bad grade. So our response is completely on us what she tells you is on her and of course there's a relationship there because the more calmly you respond to what she says the the more easy it is for her to tell you things now even if we look at this idea of traveling and you're right it's cultural things and values but um, what is important to uh, you know if we look at why that's even a thing from my understanding of it is really essentially just that it confirms a sexual relationship and that's what people have an issue with even uh, I'm not totally sure about this but what i've heard about you know the way you say boyfriend or girlfriend in farsi uh when you say that it implies a sexual relationship so people don't say that they say friend right they say dust they don't say because that implies a sexual relationship so we have uh in all cultures you still have some of this that this um the woman's sexual relationship or having a sexual past is given a great significance but in persian culture and as in many cultures like ours it's even more significant so really when you talk about traveling i don't think you're worried what if they see the eiffel tower together but you're worried about if they're having a sexual relationship and people know about their sexual relationship right so uh, it's not about traveling so much as this oh they were in the same room and that has certain implications so you know that is a cultural difference and you do have to accept that she's going to make her decisions about her sexuality sexual relationships that's going to be completely up to her and you have she can talk to you about it but you have no say in it whether she has a sexual relationship or not and even if they don't travel obviously they they can still have a sexual relationship um, but i know traveling has this uh you know certain it's it's taboo for a lot of persian families because of those implications that it means there is that sexual relationship so you know, we all think we're open-minded up to the point of the things that we're not open-minded about where we think we're right to be concerned about them. So it's just something to be aware of that, you know, to you open-minded, you maybe even think I've made progress, but compared to her living in a different culture and different generation, she probably will still think you're pretty close-minded about things and you're never going to be exactly 
like her as far as how open-minded you're going to be because that's the the intergenerational and the conflict of culture but you can try to be more open-minded and accepting that these things i worry about also probably i don't need to worry about and also i have no control over her having sexual relationship is is up to her and you have to give her that space to decide what she wants to do and again going back to something i brought up in the last segment and i'll mention again the more judgmental you are the less she's able to talk to you about it, even if she has a concern. So if, you know, parents tell their kids from a young age, no, sex is this really bad thing or drugs, you can't ever do it. We'd be ashamed if you ever took something. Well, now if the kid is having some issue where they took some drug and they don't know what to do, they'll be afraid to tell their parents. Whereas if they know they can talk to you, that actually allows for them to communicate, get your support, get your uh, you know, feedback or whatever it might be. And so we have the same thing with you and your daughter now where she feels like she has to hide these things and I know you thought we had this open relationship and it doesn't mean you don't have openness in other areas um, but sometimes when the kid is younger it's easier to have an open relationship because they don't have anything to hide but then when they get into adolescence and young adulthood there are things that they don't need to tell you about or that don't need to be told to you or that maybe they know you won't like so she won't be telling you but, about these things but one thing I mean, I agree with you, but one thing actually I examined myself, I, it was a question for myself, um, to if I, just, just I want you to see in that lens to see if I'm correct or not, because yes, I have some issue with that sexual kind of, you know, mm -hmm. concept about this, but then I, I, I said to myself in my kind of, you know, um, time, to be honest, if I would agree that person, if I knew it, she's with someone, which I agree and approve that person, it's basically reached my standard, then would I be that much upset? And I couldn't answer that question. I couldn't say yes. I could, I would just honest with myself, said I would probably were okay with that because I was okay with that guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, but, I don't really, but so... I can't really 100% say it's a sexual thing. I feel sure. like because I am not agreed with approving that this person, then it becomes more issue for me. Oh, okay, now you're traveling also. That's mm -hmm. what well, that Right. So, yeah, that's probably true. I'm sure it does have an effect your, that it, who the person is, and I've seen that that obviously is going to have an impact. But if you then look, if we take a step further back, you're saying, I have to approve and accept who she's in a relationship with and then a sexual relationship with. And that's not your space to make that decision for her. You know, that's her, that's her decision to make. So you're probably right. And even in some of your questions, well, what about the future? What's going to happen? Uh, you know, you have to let her um, not only figure that out, but even as I was saying before, let her tell you about um, that rather than you, the way, you know, you described the conversation, you were telling her this is not going to work out for X, Y, and Z reason, rather than having a conversation with her where she can share what she wants. Even the way you said, you said, well, does he want it? It wasn't you were asking. You were saying, look, it's already wrong or bad. You know, if we look at your tone, it was very much like an interrogation or even like, you know, she was on the witness stand and you were the opposing counsel uh, acting as an attorney to try to prove that she's wrong or that, you know, you're right. And so um, it was a very attacking type of a conversation, at least the way I heard what you shared with me. And so you have to understand that that's how she heard it. And, and even if we look at what you asked me, when's the next time and how aggressive should I be because I have to make her end this? That still, to me, sounds like your mindset is, 
I love my daughter, I care about her, and I know this is wrong. How do I end this relationship? And to me, it's not your space to do that. And the only thing, the only relationship you might end, or at least affect negatively, is your relationship with her. So, so what should I do? What do you so, so you, yeah, I know now you're okay. That that's all fine and good, but how do I end this thing? <laughs> so, and I understand your your that where you're coming from. By the way, is she your only child? No, actually, there's another one. Okay, older younger or younger? Than her, yeah. Younger than her. Okay. Well, so we're gonna, you know, you'll you'll get to do this all again with the the younger one. You'll get to have all these fun experiences. It's kind of role model now for the, the other one. But see, even when you say role model, I don't think you meant it in a positive way. It is a positive way, very positive okay. way, because she's the older sister is very, very, very um, influenced on the younger, younger one. Yeah. Um, in a positive way. Okay. Positive I thought maybe you meant in the case of the relationship, it was a negative influence. Um, no, no, I think um, no, I didn't mean that. Okay. But what I'm saying, I, she's already trying to actually teach me, Mom, you shouldn't do that. It's <laughs> like a, she's kind of like a trying to maybe make it the way of it may happen to her what should I basically react but um, because she's 22 um, mm-hmm. but so what do you what, how, how I can hear my question I know we're getting to the end um, what, how I can feel how I can correct that like the mistake I made yeah. I got it well the first yeah th- that's the first step would be acknowledging you know even if you don't want to say m- mistake that has maybe certain you can call it that but the way you reacted you know, if you acknowledge it as a mistake or you could have done it better, I would say rather than focusing on him and her, focus on you and her. So you can talk to her and you can let her know, uh, you know, when when you brought that up, it was a lot. You know, you found out she might have lied to you, which also we didn't get into that, how you found out she was lying to you, but we don't have to get into the detective work you might have done to figure figure that out. But, you know, and even that might make her feel no, a certain no, that way. Was just a mistake. I think she texted me let me know and her sister said don't do that because you know mom is not going to be angry and she deleted and then it was too late i already saw that one okay but i didn't say anything yeah but I even want to hear from her yeah, even I didn't hear anything. I get it. I mean, you wanted to see, but, you know, having an open conversation, not that you should tell them everything either, but, you know, you want to be open both ways. Like you share, look, I saw this. I want to know what's going on. Let's talk about it. You're not trying to trick her or trap her. Um, you hopefully will want to have a conversation with her about what's going on. So I would acknowledge that, you know, the way I responded, I could see how it, you know, made you feel judged about going with him and also about this relationship in a way I'm a concerned mom but I think the way I expressed it probably made you feel judged and that I was judging you judging him judging this relationship and I wanted to I mean I don't want to put words in your mouth so obviously what I'm sharing you have to think about it and and say it if you want to but in whatever way makes sense for you but that I wanted to apologize for that and because essentially what you're trying to do what I would recommend is create a different dynamic between you and her again I wouldn't focus on him at all take him out of the equation as far as what you do focus on you and her I want to be able to communicate with you or I want to know more like have you asked her what she likes about him what she likes about their relationship you know let her tell you about the good things rather than you just telling her about these bad things that you quote unquote know about give her that space to share with you from her side what does she like and don't say you know she might say things where she's like but what about don't go there let her just share the good and let it stay there at least for a little while you're gonna have to try to repair the broken bridges of communication between you and her 
especially about him where it's probably completely damaged or really severely damaged, but even in other things where she can be more open with you. Because what you're seeing is what's going to happen. It's not that you're going to change her behavior. She's just going to do what she wants anyway and not tell you, and you're going to get more distant from her. You're not going to even get the... No, no, you're cool. absolutely right. Yeah. Because I realize that that, you know, conversation uh, happens if she's not talking anything about mm -hmm. him at all. So she used to be saying something about, oh, he does this, oh, he does that, oh, he brought me this, oh, but now nothing, nothing. Yeah. And that, and we can understand that. I don't blame her for that. And so letting her know. And the hard part is because you have to really mean it when you say, I don't know that he's not right or this is not right. But I think right now you're still convinced that you do know. And so that's going to leak in because, I, you know, if you try to even lie to her about that, she'll feel it or it's going to come out over time. But really uh, checking with yourself to recognize maybe I don't know. Uh, and knowing is not this thing that it's very black and white. It's, you know, you have some concerns and then you've already expressed them, so you don't need to again. But it's about having conversations with her. So uh, I would focus on shifting it again. Him and her, that's about her to figure out. You and her, you have more than probably 50% effect on that relationship. And especially right now, in some ways, the ball is in your court to try to repair it. So I, I, would, I would approach her and think less about him and, and focus on repairing right. your relationship with her. Thank you so much. Nice talking with you. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Going into our last commercial break, we'll be right back. Welcome back. I uh, wanted to end the show continuing on the topic that came up with the previous caller. I appreciate her calling and sharing her story. A story that many parents of young adults and older adults can relate to of what to do, how to intervene, should you even intervene in your children's uh, relationship. And so I, I always want to be careful when I talk about someone who we just talked to when they can't, of course, respond. So this is going to be more of a general discussion, not specifically about her case, but of course, will be related to some of the things that she brought up. So, you know, even that first question of, should you intervene? And the overall adage would be less is more when it comes to how you intervene with your child's relationship. For many reasons. To begin with, um, it's their decision to make. Uh, and as I shared with her, the general assumption that parents often will have is, I know, I know this is wrong. And so when we have that kind of a mindset, if I know my child is going into danger, how could I not get them off that track, prevent them from going towards that danger? So when we have that assumption, and really we don't think of it as an assumption, we think that we really do know, then we could convince ourselves, well, I'm being a bad mother or father if I don't prevent them from walking into danger. And so there are a lot of assumptions there. The first one is you don't know. You might think you do, but you don't. And you have to recognize that first because if you approach it with I know then everything else becomes different you think okay I know but I won't tell them that I know and I'll play this game of showing I'm not sure and who knows but really all I'm trying to do is make this relationship end that's my only goal and that's not uh, creating a relationship or a communication with your adult child essentially you're just 
forcing your own agenda onto them and telling yourself it's because I love you and I'm protecting you, um, but really you're taking away a lot of things from them and from your relationship with them. So we first have to swallow that uh, pill of humility and recognize, okay, I maybe don't know. I have these concerns, I have these worries, but I can't say I know. And so that's all I can do. Now, what's actually interesting is a lot of times those concerns you have, your child might have them too. They might be aware of those things. But if you approach it and attacking them about those issues, then they're going to get defensive about those very same things that you can actually, if you approach it differently, have a conversation with them about. Let them talk to you about it. So, so first and foremost, we have to approach with the mindset of less is more. And even I would say in some ways before that and really recognizing the whole bigger picture, I can't say I know. First of all, because you're not a relationship expert or a life expert, no one is to know, even if you are a relationship expert, if you're a psychologist, uh, you know, if I have a friend going through a relationship, I can't say I know. I might share concerns if they talk to me and they want to get my opinion, but I can't say I know the relationship is going to go this way or go that way. It's much more complicated than that. Another part of not knowing is that they are the one in the relationship which one, what's important is that they have to see what they like, don't like what they can handle and don't uh, can't handle. And also they're seeing the person up close in the relationship. They're experiencing them. So you're not trying to, uh, you know, pick a partner for you. They're picking a partner for themselves. So you can't pick that for them to say, oh, you don't like that they're this way or they're that way. That's for them to figure out um, what they like and don't like. And that's another reason why you don't know because they have to pick who they want to be in a relationship. You know, sometimes I see people and they say, oh, you're not going to want to be with a, a woman who does this or a man who does that. But that's maybe what you want or what your own preferences are. It doesn't mean that's what your uh, your child is going to want. So being, being aware of that is very important. So we recognize we don't know, even though you think you do. And I'm sure people listening to me right now are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can pretend like I don't know, but I know I do. But okay, I hope you'll really try to recognize that and, and accept that. But then when you look at how you approach it, the approach should be more, I want my child to be able to share with me not to get information to then use against them. So I'm not trying to do uh, an investigation, but really because I want to understand from them. So if they're dating someone, rather than being on alert and that protective parent coming out and saying, okay, what's wrong with this relationship? Find out what's right about this relationship. Okay, good. Tell me about him or tell me about her. Let them share with you um, what they like and maybe even what they don't like maybe if it's the beginning just what they like will come out more and try to understand it so your focus as I mentioned with the caller it's not on the relationship between your child and this person it's between you and your child how do you maintain that or keep that strong or keep things going well when it comes to your relationship with them not thinking about how do I either make this relationship end or promote this relationship. Some of my parents, of course, can have that other side. Oh, maybe my son or daughter doesn't see how good this person is. I have to push them towards this person. I have to make it work. So again, less is more. You are not trying to make this relationship happen or make it end. You're going to be there as a supportive parent, as a parent, and be involved in that way, but you're not going to make it end or make it survive. First of all, you're not that powerful. Sometimes we can make it end just by being destructive, which is really horrible because, again, the relationship you affect the most is the one between your, you and your child. Um, but usually you can make it work no matter what you do. They have to like each other, love each other, and try to make things work out. It's not going to be up to you. But what you want to try to create is a dynamic where you're 
child can share with you, which is true about anything. They want to talk to you about career. They want to talk to you about drugs and alcohol. They want to talk to you about a friend. You don't go into lecture mode. You go into listening mode. Let them share with you what's going on with this relationship that they like or they don't like so that you can hear them. Because what ends up happening is if you don't do that, you're not going to actually learn from them what they're going through. As I alluded to earlier, oftentimes your child might have concerns about the relationship or realistically, they always will have some, things will come up. They have their own concerns. But if you approach things in such a negative way, they won't share them with you. So I've seen it personally and professionally where they're fighting about things and the parents are saying, you should not be with him. What's wrong with you? Or you shouldn't be with her. We're not going to accept this. We won't even come to the wedding. We're going to disown whatever they're saying, all those things. And the child is defending. No, you don't know him. He's so this, he's so that. And then when you talk to the person one-on-one, they actually say, you know what? I'm kind of worried about this, about him. Or we sometimes fight about this all the time. And so the child starts sharing. And I say child, but I mean an adult. But the child in this scenario of the parents who are worried about their child, And they're sharing the things that they're worried about. They're saying there's this issue, there's that issue. They're not sure. But of course, if you're attacking them, they have to defend it and fight for it. And if anything, what you're doing is you're pushing more towards that person because they're saying, I'm losing my parents. At least I have him or I have her. And they go more towards that. And again, you're affecting your own relationship more than anything. So we have to, as always, take a step back. What am I trying to accomplish here? The first and most important thing is, rather than focusing on that relationship, am I going to keep them together, get them apart, or whatever it is, focus on the relationship that you're actually involved with and you have the most effect on. That's your relationship with your child. I want to make sure I keep that relationship good because that's the one that is in my control. That's the one I'm supposed to make decisions on as far as how we relate to one another. And that's the one that I want to preserve and keep healthy as much as I can. And if that's the case, I want to have a conversation with them. And lastly, I would give them the benefit of the doubt to make their own decisions. One, because I want to show them I believe in them and trust them. And two, they have to go through their own experiences and their own lives and see the ups and downs and make their choices. I can't pick their partners for them and I can't pick that they're going to break up with someone because that's not good for their development. So yes, we can think I have to protect them, which one, we don't even know if you're right about they're going in the wrong way. But two, I have to allow them to make their decisions to then deal with the consequences, to learn and grow, and then go forward from that. You can't think, okay, before it happens, I'm going to you know, remove every bad guy or bad girl that my child is going to date because I want to protect them. This goes back to something I talk about a lot that You have to see, is it pain that's growth or pain that's damage? Sometimes it's a little bit blurry when it comes to relationships, but we have to allow for them to go through the growing pains, to date and break up if that happens, work on things, have fights on their own, and let them grow. And then as they get older, they can hopefully learn from those experiences themselves and make the better decisions. Not, I'm going to share my experience, which is what parents often say, tell them what to do and not to do and make the decisions for them. So we do have to wrap up for today, but just some reminders of less is more when it comes to affecting your children's relationship. If anything, almost none, you should not be affecting it at all. But two, that you want to make sure you recognize you don't know what's right or wrong and that you focus on your relationship with your child and how you communicate with them is not about lectures, but it's more about listening. And if they want your advice, 
You can share it with them as your thoughts, not as facts that you know, but your thoughts, concerns, worries, and also let them share their thoughts on what you're bringing up. But make sure it's a conversation and not a lecture. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. A big thank you to Ghatalahi in the studio, in the new studios here at Radio Hamra. Uh, thank you to all the callers and the listeners. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.